Brothers and sisters, let's take our Bibles and go to the letter to the Hebrews. Hebrews 6. We read from verse 13 to the end. We read this in connection with Lord's Day 20 of the Catechism. Lord's Day 20, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 6 verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise for people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we, who have fled for refuge, might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having be become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek so far our reading from the word of God we now turn to the canons of door we go to chapter 5 of the canons and we read several articles of chapter 5 on page 584 of our book of praise. Chapter 5 of the Canons of Dort is about the perseverance or the preservation of God's people. We read article 9. Here we confess together. Believers themselves can be certain of this preservation of the elect to salvation and the perseverance <clears throat> of true believers in the faith. And they are indeed certain according to the measure of their faith by which they firmly believe that they are and always shall remain true and living members of the church and that they have Forgiveness of sins and life eternal. Article 10. This assurance is not produced by a certain private revelation besides or outside the word, but by faith in the promises of God, which he has most abundantly revealed in his word for our comfort by the testimony of the Holy Spirit, witnessing with our spirit that we are children and heirs of God. And finally, by the serious and holy pursuit of a clear conscience and of good works. 
And if the elect of God did not have in this world the solid comfort of obtaining the victory and this unfailing pledge of eternal glory, they would be, of all men, the most miserable. In Article 11, Scripture meanwhile testifies that believers in this life have to struggle with various doubts of the flesh and, placed under a severe temptation, do not always feel this full assurance of faith and certainty of perseverance. But God, the Father of all comfort, will not let them be tempted beyond their strength, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape and by the Holy Spirit will again revive in them the certainty of perseverance. And finally, Article 14. Just as it has pleased God to begin this work of grace in us by the preaching of the gospel, so he maintains, continues and perfects it by the hearing and reading of his word, by the meditation on it, by its exhortations, threats and promises and by the use of the sacraments. And finally, let's read together Lord's Day 20 of our Catechism on page 534. Lord's Day 20. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is, together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. So far the reading from the Confession of the Church. We now listen to the preaching of the Gospel. And afterwards we sing together Psalm 138, the verses 1, 2 and 4. Psalm 138, verses 1, 2 and 4, after the sermon. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, some people believe the Bible and are convinced that they are going to heaven. And for them, faith, what faith is and what faith looks like, is not a big deal. They don't think about it much, even while they continue to live seriously godly lives. Other people also believe that the Bible is true, but they are not so sure that Jesus died to pay for their sins and that they are going to heaven.
So, how can we tell if we have saving faith so that we are okay? And we ask this question, brothers and sisters, because in the Bible, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus says that on the last day, that is on Judgment Day, some people will come to him and they will say to him, Lord, Lord. In other words, they confess that Jesus is Lord and they will say, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? Thinking, surely we're going to go to heaven. But the Lord will say to them, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Those people, while they were living in this world, they were convinced that Jesus would save them. But they were wrong, which raises a question for us, brothers and sisters. The most important question that we can ever think about. How can we be sure? Now, most catechism students can quote from memory Lord's Day 7, question and answer 31, question and answer 21 of the catechism. What is true faith? Faith is a sure knowledge whereby we accept as true everything that God has revealed to us in his word. And besides, faith is also a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins. Lord's Day 7 teaches that we need two things. We need two things to have faith. We need knowledge of God's promises. And we also need confidence that God's promises are for us. That our sins are forgiven. And historically, the position of reformers like John Calvin was, Calvin said, if we don't have both of these two things, if we don't have knowledge and confidence, then our faith is not complete. This was indeed the position of reformers like John Calvin, brothers and sisters, that was in the 16th century. But this afternoon, we read together some articles from the Canons of Dort. And the Canons were written about 50 years later. And we might have noticed, while our catechism speaks about sure knowledge and firm confidence, the canons of Dort speak about knowledge and assurance. Knowledge and confidence, knowledge and assurance, confidence and assurance are the same thing, not an issue. But if we listen carefully... In Article 11 of the Canons, we read together that believers in this life, believers, true believers, genuine believers, struggle with doubts of the flesh. 
True believers do not always feel the full assurance of faith and a certainty of perseverance. Here, the canons of Dort teach us that if we have doubts of the flesh, if we don't have full assurance, we can still have faith. We can still have saving faith. And here is actually a difference between the catechism and the canons. The catechism says it bluntly, straightforwardly. To be saved, we need knowledge and confidence. But the canons say, even if our faith is weak, even if we lack the confidence that we ought to have, then, then God is gracious. Indeed, God is gracious. And yes, he is a holy God and his standards are very high. His standards for his children, for our lives, his standards for our faith and our devotion to him. God's standard is very high. But brothers and sisters, even while God maintains his high standard, he knows our weakness and he is gracious to us even in our weakness. I preach to you this afternoon the gospel of your salvation under the following theme. Jesus Christ has given the Holy Spirit to you and therefore you share in all his benefits and then we pay attention to two points the holy spirit was given to you the holy spirit was given to comfort you jesus christ has given the holy spirit to you and therefore you share in all his benefits we consider first the Holy Spirit was given to you. Now question 53 of the Catechism asks, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? The Catechism does not ask, what does the Bible say? Nor, what does the Church believe? No, what do you believe Concerning the Holy Spirit. And the answer of the catechism is. First. God the Holy Spirit is true God. He's part of the Trinity. And then. Besides. He is given. Also. To me. That means given to others. No doubt. And then also. Given to me as well. Now, in the catechism class, when the class comes to Lord's Day 20, Reverend Paul does not look at all the students one by one. He does not say to one student, I know that the Holy Spirit was given to you because I never hear you swear or because you were friendly in class. Or because you learn your catechism so well. Reverend Paul does not say, 
because I can see that the Holy Spirit was given to you. You must learn, Lord's Day 20, you must learn to say the Holy Spirit was given to me. And neither does Reverend Paul say to another student, I am not so sure that the Holy Spirit was given to you because of your behaviour. And so you don't have to learn this Lord's Day. No, brothers and sisters, every catechism student is required to learn these words and make them their own. These words, the Holy Spirit was given to me. Why? Well, when we were baptised, indeed, when we were baptised, then God promised to give us the Holy Spirit. And now, God wants us to believe the whole Bible. God wants all of us to believe the whole Bible. And therefore, of course, God also wants every single one of us to believe his promise that the Holy Spirit is given to me. Now, brothers and sisters, we are a reformed church. And that means we want to be a biblical church. And that means when the catechism teaches our children to say that the Holy Spirit was given to them, we have to show that this confession is based on the Bible. So does the Bible teach us to say that the Holy Spirit was given to us? Indeed. Listen. In John 15, Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit to us, to testify to us about Jesus. To the church in Ephesus, Paul wrote, You were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in his second letter. Paul wrote, From the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The Apostle John writes in the fourth chapter of his first letter, We know that we live in him and he in us. We know that because... He has given us his spirit. Brothers and sisters, the Bible never teaches us to ask whether or not we receive the Holy Spirit. Instead, it says again and again that the Holy Spirit was given to us. And for this reason, John Calvin preached, John Calvin preached, the confidence that Jesus paid for your sins and the assurance that you have received the Holy Spirit does not come from personal experience. It does not come from self-examination. Instead, says Kelvin, faith rests firmly on God's word, on God's promises. And therefore the assurance of salvation and the confidence that God saves us from our sins must be sought in God's word. 
And it must flow forth from God's word. Assurance of salvation, said Kelvin. Assurance of salvation cannot be separated from the word of God. Just like sunbeams cannot be separated from the sun. Faith. What does faith do? Faith receives the entire word of God, says Calvin. Faith says amen to all the scriptures. Faith also says amen to God's promise that God has given the Holy Spirit also to me. Now the truth is, when I talk about this to my catechism students, they don't get very excited. They don't think this is a big deal. And this is not a complaint, brothers and sisters. It is not that I would want this to be an issue for our young people. Instead, instead, our young people look around and they notice every man and his dog assumes that he is going to heaven. And they also notice that even people who don't seem to be Christians, even people who never go to church and who live unchristian lives, they all seem to think that they are okay with God. And many of them take it for granted that they will go to heaven. We can't really understand this, but that's the way it is. And besides... Besides, as free reformed people, we have also become familiar with the term automatism, as in covenant automatism. In the past 30 years, it has often been said that free reformed people seem to assume that we will automatically receive the Holy Spirit and we automatically get faith. And we will automatically go to heaven. Covenant automatism. Sometimes we make it seem so simple. So speaking for itself. And so the question, brothers and sisters, when we make our children learn Lord's Day 20 of the Catechism, and when we teach our children that the Holy Spirit was given to them all, then aren't we teaching them to just assume that they are all saved? Aren't we teaching them to just assume that they will all go to heaven? Aren't we teaching them to take their salvation for granted? Just like every man and his dog out there takes their salvation for granted. To turn the question around, should we perhaps teach our children to examine themselves first, to make sure that they have true faith, and to make sure that the Holy Spirit is working in their hearts before we teach them to say that they have received the Holy Spirit? To answer these questions, we go back into the history of the church. 
We all know that in the time before the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church taught that saving yourself is kind of your own business. Remember John Tetzel, buying and selling indulgences? Also, doing good works to earn salvation. Going on pilgrimages to earn salvation. Worshipping relics to get out of purgatory sooner. Donating money to the church. So basically earning their own salvation. That was the Roman Catholic Church before the Reformation. So when Martin Luther and John Calvin rediscovered the gospel of salvation by grace alone through faith alone, when people started to hear the gospel again, then Christians stopped buying indulgences. They stopped making pilgrimages. They stopped worshipping relics. And that was the time in which our catechism and also our Belgic confession were written. In that time, the message was very simple. Believe the gospel and you are saved. But, beloved congregation, when that message was preached, in the time just after the Reformation, when Christians stopped buying indulgences and stopped worshipping saints, many of them also stopped doing good works. There was no church discipline. Consistories were not allowed to withhold anyone from the Lord's table. Instead, everyone belonged to the church and everyone celebrated the Holy Supper. Everyone also had the children baptised. And all the children were learning Lord's Day 20 of the Catechism. They were learning to say that the Holy Spirit had been given to them. And then, over the years, the churches of the Reformation lost their first love. And they lost their commitment. Many church members were going through the motions. And then, then instead of using church discipline, and instead of admonishing sinners and withholding those who did not repent from the table of the Lord, instead, the gospel message was changed. Ministers began to preach, if you do this, and if your life looks like that, then you are okay. Then you have the Holy Spirit. And you were going to heaven. Ministers began to preach. Look in your heart. And look in your life. Examine yourself carefully. And then you can see for yourself. If the Holy Spirit has been given to you. Yes or no. In short brothers and sisters. Instead of preaching the gospel of salvation. Outside ourselves in Jesus Christ. Instead of proclaiming the steadfast love and the faithfulness of our God, and instead of exhorting 
people to receive the forgiveness of all their sins. The preaching focused everyone's attention on the state of their own hearts. And then the number of people who dare to say what we confess in Lord's Day 20 of our catechism, the Holy Spirit has been given to me and he will abide with me forever. The number of people who dared to make that confession went down through the floor. That was because instead of preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified, the church focused attention on the thoughts and the responses of the human heart. And we all know, brothers and sisters, we all know what lives in here and it never looks any good at all. And in that context, where the church was not preaching the promises of the gospel, where the church was instead preaching the question, have you or have you not received the Holy Spirit? And are you or are you not a true believer? In that context, the canons of Dort were written. Many people did believe what the Bible said. Many people did believe that Jesus had come into the world to die for sinners. But the church, through its preaching, had stolen away the confidence that we take for granted. The church did not encourage God's children to believe God's promises. Instead, the church trained godly men and godly women to doubt their salvation. And then the men who came together at the Synod of Dort, they had to deal with that problem. And they dealt with that problem in a biblical way, a pastoral way. Because the canons of Dort say, numerous times, also in chapter 5, article 11, they say, believe the gospel. Believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for sins. And if you look in here and you lack the confidence that Jesus Christ has died for your sins, if what you see in here causes you to doubt your own salvation, then then God is merciful. You might doubt, but God is merciful. Your faith may be weak. Your faith may be incomplete. But God does not save you because of the quality of your faith. No, instead, God saves you because he is merciful. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to your own heart. In that time, when the church was preaching a twisted gospel, when the church was training people to doubt their salvation, the canon of Dort said, hope in God. Because God is more merciful than you realize. More merciful than you can discover in your heart. Because even when we doubt, even then, we may be confident that the Father of all comfort will never let us be tempted beyond our strength, but 
with the temptation will also provide the way of escape. And, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will again revive in us the certainty of perseverance. There can be faith, says the canons. There can be faith, even while assurance comes and goes. Assurance goes up and down. And this brings us back to Lord's Day 20 of our catechism. Brothers and sisters, we teach all our children to say for themselves, I believe that the Holy Spirit was given also to me. We tell our children as often as we can that they are children of God. We tell them that since God promised them that he would give them the Holy Spirit, they can count on it because God promised. And if or when we struggle to believe this, if or when we are not confident that everything is okay between God and us, we have the extra promise that God is merciful and he will forgive our sins. He will forgive even the weakness of our faith. He will forgive us even when we lack the confidence that belongs to faith. In our second point, we will now consider the promise that the Holy Spirit was given to comfort you. The Catechism teaches me to confess that the Holy Spirit comforts me. Now, how does he do that? How does he comfort me when things go wrong in my life? To answer this question, we go back first to the greatest need that any person can ever have. Brothers and sisters, your greatest need and my greatest need is the need for the gospel. The need to be sure that our sins are forgiven. More than anything else, we need to know that we are okay with God and that God is okay with us. That God accepts us in grace for Jesus' sake. In all my circumstances, whatever they may be, the Holy Spirit comforts us very simply in one specific way by impressing that message upon our hearts. God accepts us in grace for Jesus' sake. Now how does the Holy Spirit give us that comfort? In chapter 5, article 14 of the Canons, we confess that just like it pleased God to begin his work of grace in us by the preaching of the gospel, that means, in other words, just like God used the Bible to give us faith in the first place, 
now God also maintains and he continues and he completes his work of salvation in us by the hearing and reading of his word and also by our meditating on the word and by the exhortations and threats as well as the promises of the gospel and the use of the sacraments. This means, brothers and sisters, this means when we have any issue in our life, maybe it seems as if God is far away from us. Maybe we have struggles at work. Whatever it is, then God promises to comfort us. But in only one way. Only using the Bible and the sacraments. God promises to comfort us. How? In this way. By our action of taking our Bible. Our action of opening our Bible and then reading our Bible. Understand very well. If we won't go to our Bible, then we won't find comfort. On the other hand, when we read our Bible, then while the words that we read in the Bible penetrate our minds, the Holy Spirit works. While we are working, the Holy Spirit uses the words that we read to comfort us. And when we meditate, the canons remind us, when we meditate on what God did in the past, what God did for Abraham and Moses and David and Jesus and through Jesus Christ, when we meditate on these stories of God's grace and his preserving work, when we think about it, then God works in here. Then he encourages us to trust him. When we read the letters of Peter and Paul and all the other apostles, the Holy Spirit uses the words that we read to give focus to our lives and to put faith in our hearts. When we struggle with sins, bad habits, addictions, when we have a bad attitude towards God or towards other people, or towards our daily work. When we have these issues, there is a solution. When we read our Bibles, then the Holy Spirit uses the Bible to change our hearts and our lives, to give us comfort. Not comfort in the sense of it doesn't matter. Not comfort in the sense of it's not important. Not at all. Instead, he works in us and he encourages us to trust God's forgiving grace. He encourages us to rely on the life-giving power of his spirit. And at the same time, he also strengthens us in our struggle against sin. The Holy Spirit gives us comfort, brothers and sisters, 
Not just a feel good on the sore spot in our life, but comfort the whole package of the gospel. That's the answer to all our problems. But he gives it to us through the word. And for this reason, beloved congregation, again we are reminded that the most important thing that we can do in serving God, the most important thing that we can do in serving God is read our Bibles. Because when God speaks to us through his word, then he addresses every issue in our lives. And so he gives us direction for our lives. But at the same time, he also gives us hope. Hope for the future. And that is what our catechism calls comfort. And this brings us to the joy and the blessing of the Reformed faith, brothers and sisters. Indeed, the joy and the blessing of the Reformed faith. Because on my shelves in my study, I have numerous books which come from an evangelical Christian background rather than from a Reformed background. And some of those books have titles like Are You a True Disciple? Another one, How to Know if You Are Born Again. Now these books are not Roman Catholic. They do not say, do this and you will be saved. They do not say, avoid that sin because otherwise you will go to hell. Of course not. Because that would be the Roman Catholic error. But instead, these books written by evangelical Christians, they invite Christians like us to evaluate our own lives, to decide if we are or if we are not true Christians. And anyone who reads such a book, anyone who takes it seriously, will, of course, try to live a Christian life. We'll try to live a Christian life, of course, because we want to be sure that we've been saved. We want to see in ourselves that we're Christians, and so we work hard to make sure we can see it. Again, then we do not think that we are earning salvation by living a good life. We do not think that we are earning salvation by doing good works. No way. But we want to do good works because we want to be assured of our faith. We want to, be, to do good works because the knowledge of our good works would give us the confidence that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Think about this, beloved congregation. Before the Reformation, many Roman Catholics did good works to earn salvation. But today, many Christians are doing good works to obtain assurance of salvation. 
But in the middle of these two theories, right in the middle, there is a better way. And that is the way of Lord's Day 20 of our catechism. When you were baptised, God promised you that he would give you the Holy Spirit. And this afternoon, I proclaim to you God's promise. The Holy Spirit has been given also to you. And that means the question whether or not you are saved. God answers that question for you again this afternoon. God promises you, I have given you the Holy Spirit. You and I couldn't make that happen. You and I didn't have to make that happen. Instead, God has done it himself. And so we can live our lives making decisions and making choices, not trying to earn salvation, not trying to prove to anyone that we are saved, but just loving God, trusting God, obeying his word, letting him lead us by his word and spirit through the course of this life to eternal life. That is the faith that we confess in Lord's Day 20. Beloved congregation, let's hold on to this faith. Let's live out of this faith. And that means let's not leave our Bibles closed on the shelf. Let's not assume that anything happens automatically. But let's take our Bibles. Let's read them prayerfully, trusting that God will do what he has promised and he will give us everlasting life. Amen.